Hey guys, I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know that Surewinder is still selling amazing products. Some of you guys have been dragging your feet for whatever reason. If your shoulder hurts, do not waste time. Pull the trigger. I just bought uh, four or five of them and uh, we had two guys out. You know how much it cost me to pay for two guys being out with bad shoulders? We just pulled the trigger and we said, listen, everybody's going to have one on a truck. It's mandatory. You got to use it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait till your guys go down. It's going to cost you more. Buy a Surewinder. It's not every day someone invents something that changes the game. I found out about this product that I'm talking to you about, uh, and I had to try it. So I ordered a few, and after using it, I'm sold. Now we stock them on our trucks. It's called Allbrace and it will help you sell more service and buy you time until doors come in. There's never been a greater time for a product like this. Phil has a video on his website of him cutting a door literally in half, installing the all brace and running it like nothing ever happened. It is literally incredible. One of the greatest selling videos I've ever seen. You're gonna to wanna to check it out at all-brace.com. What's up Door Nation? This is Ryan, your host, Torch Talk Podcast. And today we have it's going to be a foursome. Uh, we are continuing season six. This is one going to be one of our last episodes of the season. Uh, and then we'll do kind of like a wrap up. I've got some things in store for the final shows, as well as some fun things scheduled for season seven. Well, the technically they're not scheduled. They're just in my head. In my head, they're scheduled. Tamara still has to schedule them. So She's got to get them out of my head and then get them scheduled. So anyway, uh, Tamara's on with me. She's like my co-host. Say hello, Tamara. Hello. Hi. You all know her. She's in the bottom left corner if you're watching on uh, YouTube. And then we have Scott Wilson. Scott, what's up, man? How are you? Doing well. Ryan, how about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, Trying to to get used to my very tall microphone stand here that I don't really like, but uh, they're good quality. They're just too tall. So I'm going to switch it up. This is going to be my third round of switch ups with my mics. Um, So, and then we have Jeffrey Hughes. Jeffrey, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Good to be here. Glad to have you. So Scott, tell my team who you are, what you're doing, and uh, your view of how we met and got the conversation started. All right, I'll tell my version of how we met for sure. Yeah, so Scott Wilson, two L's in Wilson. The the terrible dad dad joke, uh, Ryan, is is that um, the reason there are two L's in such a common name is because in our side of the family, no one could beat the L out of us, right? But doom, boom, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> But that way you'll remember. So when you look for me, uh, you'll you'll find me with two wells. Uh, and I do have a doppelganger, by the way. A few years ago, there was another Scott Wilson on LinkedIn who wanted to link to me. And his tagline, his his reason for linking it is was just simply it said, because we have to. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the name aside. So, yeah, I'm uh, I live in the Atlanta area. I'm a Are you technologist. twice the Wilson he is because you have twice two- the Wilson. Okay. <laughs> well, no, he's actually a double L Wilson too. No Scott, way. D- Scott double T Wilson double L, which is why he wanted to link with me on LinkedIn, as he put it, just because we have to. Yeah. He was from Africa trying to get information so he could steal your identity. 
Yeah, it's funny. Every once in a while, I'll ping him um, on LinkedIn. He think I think he lives in the Northeast area. Nice. But I, I just thought that was funny. It's like, that's, yeah, okay. So there is a doppelganger yeah. of me out there somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, the, you know, double T, double L, double everything for me, I guess. And um, yeah, I live in the Atlanta area. Uh, Ryan, that's where you and I met. I'm in the technology industry. I started my career as a software engineer and kind of progressed, which, you know, we could talk about that a little further. But basically, to summarize my career, it was that I started writing code. I kind of got into that as a teenager, but professionally started writing code. And then my career migrated to selling the code. Then I migrated to running a global implementation services to implement or install the code at large enterprises. And then uh, have now moved on to marketing the code. So I've pretty much been able to stick around the software industry, just different facets of that industry. And um, I wasn't originally from... um, from the Atlanta area about uh, 20, 21, some odd years ago, I was actually uh, living in Utah. I was, I actually attended the University of Utah. I think in my bio, I'd mentioned that. I left the University of Utah early to go pursue some entrepreneurial opportunities. Uh, Those opportunities ultimately helped me get myself here to the Atlanta area where I was involved with a couple of startups here. And, um, you know, Yada, yada, yada. Fast forward, Ryan, which is where you and I meet. Um, I'd moved in from the original house I lived here in Atlanta to the house I reside in now. And of course, uh, as, as always happens when you buy a new house, you find all kinds of problems. And so the garage door had died, okay, and was having a problem. And so I went looking around to see who I should get. The I was unimpressed with the people there was a sticker on my in my garage and talking with them i i didn't think they really knew what they were doing where they were in business i can't remember the specifics for that but in my search and trying to find someone to help me solve this problem i came across your company ryan and what impressed me what I'll actually has you know probably just so y'all know ding <laughs> yeah ding uh, and so what it would impress me though ryan was that you were the only company that had five stars across the board from all of your customers, as in like everyone was, that wasn't the average. Everyone was giving you five stars. And I just thought, no way. That's impossible. How right. is that happening? So I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta get a hold of these guys, uh, Aaron overhead doors. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, see, see what this is about. And uh, as fate had it, uh, Aaron, at that point, this is several, several years ago, uh, you were the one that uh, came in to make the small repair. And uh, you and I got talking as you're in my garage, you got up on the ladder and you were explaining that you had actually come from the software world as well. If I remember right, uh, enterprise software sales. Mm -hmm. And that led to a conversation. I was like, wow, enterprise software sales to running an overhead door company. That is not a... That just, that's, Typical I mean, that's career a, path. That's right. <laughs> and um, where software guys go to die. That's where software guys. I mean, obviously, you 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 were in the software industry, and you your next career choice is to start a garage door company. Obviously, I was like, I was so intrigued by that. And so you and I had talked about some of the specifics, and there were a lot of learnings I took from you from that meeting, Ryan. And then um, you know, here we are now, many years later. When my friend Jeff and I were talking about doing this podcast, I was like, man, we got to start with Ryan. 
I know his story so was so They're starting their own podcast. What's it called? Uh, Quit Your Crappy Job. Quit Your Fighting Crappy Courage Job. Courage for Positive Change is the subtitle. There you go. So they're starting their own podcast. He reached out to me and was like, hey, do you have any pointers? You know, whatever. Actually, I don't even know if, did you know that I had a podcast at the time? I didn't. No, what I'd called you was just to see if you wanted to join or then suddenly you're like, oh yeah, I run a podcast and you gave me all these pointers. I'm all taking notes. It's like, oh wow. I didn't know you had been doing this, you know? Yeah. This would all be new to me. Fun times, fun times. Well, uh, since then you've hired my door company again. Yes. You had us out, you installed a G. Yeah, yeah. Was it the side yep. mount? It was the side mount, both doors. Yep. How you so like true it? to my word at the time you made a small repair because I wanted to put it off a little bit, but uh, yeah, you put in a side mount. It's great. Works to hooks up to the Wi-Fi. Um, at first, what's funny about that, my wife was like, why would I want the garage door hooked up to Wi-Fi? And though we don't use it that often, what my wife loves about it is that she always knows when someone's coming and going. Yeah. Like when we're out of town. Oh yeah. The, the dog sitter or whoever we've asked to come in, we know that they've. Um, what's funny is when I tell guys that they're like, nah, bro, I don't, I don't want my wife to know when I'm coming home or like it, they'll even be like, uh, you know, Hey, I, yeah, I like that. So you have notification when my wife comes home. I'm like, yeah. They're like, let's do that. And I'm like, what are you doing, bro? I know so, it's yeah. weird, right? Using yeah. it as kind of an alert, but I do a lot of walking so that I live next to a trail. So I'll put in about six plus miles every other day. And when I'm especially as we're entering the summer months, man, I use that Wi-Fi at the app all the time. When I get to about a block away, I'm punching the button to get that garage door open because yeah. I want to stand there in front of the white door getting baked. I want to be able to just get home and get through to the yeah. shaded garage and get into the cool home as soon as possible. No obstacles in the way. Love no it. obstacles in the way, exactly. <laughs> especially if I'm walking my dogs too. It's sometimes it's just easier. I don't want to have to have them standing there and get distracted, you know, squirrel right. or something. I could just get them in. So actually I use the app all the time, but nice. my wife mostly uses it as a notification <laughs> mechanism but cool anyways yeah, it's yeah very pleased with the garage door it's awesome it really yeah, saved us some space we actually have space for basically storage above the garage door now which is nice yeah so beautiful jeffrey how are you sir i'm doing well um actually my mom calls me jeffrey i go by jeff but okay. uh <laughs> well jeff where so where are you at i am in a an area called Lucas, Texas. So if you're familiar with Plano and that area, just about 30 minutes north of Dallas, that's okay. where I am. And now you, uh, I read your bio, you have, you're a book writer, right? Yes. Um, also in the tech world, um, I've been doing tech, hard to believe for going on, well, 30 plus years. And I have, um, uh, started out kind of similar to Scott in development uh, area and then, you know, migrated or moved over into product marketing. And that's where I've probably been for the last, I'd say 20 years. And along the way, I've had an opportunity to write some tech books. And uh, it's funny when you write a book, all of a sudden you're the expert and yeah. uh, you know, you're, yeah, you're the authority. And uh, so, so it's been good. And, uh, you know, I've had a good experience working for tech companies. 
but it's, you know, I'm kind of getting towards the end of my career and looking for opportunity to, uh, you know, do something else. You want to start a door company. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> I want to start. Actually, my, my wife wants to buy, <laughs> my wife wants to buy a wood garage doors. So I, I wanted to get your advice on wood doors. We have metal doors now and uh, she thinks that wood doors will add value. Who do we have close to Plano? Uh, I know Jason Meadows is in DFW. I'll have to look at who's closest. We've got several in the metro area there. I don't know if we we'll have let any. Them duke it out. Yeah. We'll let them duke it out. But we'll we have see a, whose have service like a, area you fall under. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have like a peer uh, mastermind groups that we do with garage door business owners. Uh -huh. and, um, we got about 25-ish. Is that right, Tamara? Mm -hmm. About 25 guys in there. It's phenomenal. We do need some ladies. So ladies, if you're listening, we can yes. use a little, a little uh, estrogen in the group other than Tamara. Um, <laughs> they're phenomenal, but I think it would be nice to have some ladies, There's some lady garage door business owners out there. We invite you to come, but uh, we have guys all over the country. So uh, that would be probably the first place I would start. And then we can look at our client list for my marketing agency. Uh, see if we have any door companies out there that are not part of GDU. So we can help hook you up with that. All right. For sure. Um, so Jeffrey, what are you, uh, how did you meet Scott? Like how did y'all's? Yeah. So Scott and I uh, worked at the same company and. Uh, we're fixing his door. No, no. Um, Scott was my manager actually. And. Oh, yeah. uh yeah, so uh, he he ended up inheriting a small group of us, and um, Scott was our manager. I, I think you were our manager for what about a year, a little over a year. Seemed like a year, didn't it? But actually, it was more like six months. <laughs> was it only six months? It went fast and furious, right? Oh, was he a good manager? <laughs> yeah, I. You know, he was. Um, and not just because he's on this uh, podcast. He actually, he was a very good manager, very uh, personable, people oriented, uh, wanted to see people succeed and uh, has a very shrewd mind for uh, all things marketing. Very good. Good job, Scott. Yeah. So, you know, people, the other half of that is, is that those accolades, which I appreciate, Jeff, you went, was in a kind of a soulless, soul-crushing environment, right? Which is kind of the reason why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Actually. And I think like uh, when I think of company culture, I, I don't know if it's just me or if you guys have the same perception, but I think software, I think tech, because that's kind of where the like the coin phrase of like company culture, I believe started. And then you have like all these founders really trying to like do these things like ping pong tables and right. you know, unlimited time off and open work environment. And they're really trying to like experiment and try new things and do things that they think might help uh, with company culture. So for all of us that come from tech, we're used to that, like kind of, but there's an ugly side of tech too, where it's like cutthroat, bottom line, 
grind, 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 no time off, work at work, work at home, you know, meeting, 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 conference room, chewed out, like, and, and so there's a, there's a hard difference between uh, companies who actually have a good culture, companies who have bad culture, trying to have a good culture or pretending to try, and then just bad cultures that are run by bad leaders. Um, so I assume you guys have been part of most of those scenarios. Oh, yeah. We have, well, I can speak for, for myself sure. and I'm sure Scott too. I, I've experienced, I've worked for a number of uh, tech companies over the years. Um, and, and some of them, I mean, honestly, have been very good. Uh, but you're right, the hours are long and the uh, expectations are very high. And, you know, you're expected to respond to emails all the time, late at night, early in the morning, weekends. And, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of the standard headlines. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. I mean, that's just the standard expectation if you're in software. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, Jeff, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I was just going to say, and, and for me, you know, you as you get older in your career, you start to value the time, time off more than anything. Uh, you can throw in all these perks and things like that. And, you know, ping pong table. I don't care about a ping pong table or any of that. You know, now um, I'd rather have time with my family. So go yeah, ahead, exactly. Scott. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, what I've seen, because I've been with, well, several startups and then uh, mid-sized companies, and then I've been with the, the big ones. And I have found that the, the larger the company gets, especially when they leave the SMB, which is small to mid-sized business, that's the acronym. And when they leave that phrase and they become really big, large enterprises, the culture really goes to hell in a handbasket has been my experience. When they become really big, um, the, the mid-sized one, you, yeah, you can work a lot of hours, but you're having a lot of fun, generally speaking. Now, I've been around some startups that were really bad. I remember interviewing for one. One of the reasons I didn't join the one was because they didn't know how they made money. So, for example, when I was talking with this some leadership at this company. Excited about this story. Here. Oh, yeah. Right. So I go to this. Some friends were there. They said, oh, you got to come here. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll at least talk with folks. So I'm talking to some of the leadership. Again, I'm not going to name any of these companies. Right. Oh, but as I'm talking on. with the people here, um, I found out that there's this perception that the salespeople were these greedy SOBs, right? And I was like, well, so I pulled one of the, the leaders aside. I said, well, why do you guys have, why, why are you so against the salespeople? I mean, that's how you make your money. And this person looked at me just as a matter of fact and said, no, that's not true. That's not how we make money. And I was, I was so taken aback. I was like, okay, well, how do you make money? from our investors <laughs> and I was like wait a minute well what do you your investors running a charity I asked and this person just looked at me with a blank stare like what was I was speaking Greek like, I mean are they just giving away money I mean if I gave you guys a hundred dollars I'd want like 110 120 105 back right yeah. that's how it works yeah and uh, realized that they were all big on the parties and the Basically, it looked like they, their culture was all about a bunch of people in the late 20s, early 30s that were trying to play adults, adulting. And in fact, I found out the bulk of all the executives and the leadership all came from acting careers, failed acting careers, and had jumped in to this company. And uh, I was like, wow, they don't even know how they make money. Why would I join these guys? Because uh, for all the tech aside, at the end of the day, I'd like to make some money. That's part of the fun. Yeah. 
right? That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. That's <laughs> why we do anything, right? Um, anyway, so that was that was crazy. So I've I've seen the kind of unicorn, what they call startups, where there's that kind of culture to, you know, the mid-sized ones where it's a lot of fun. You're big enough to be able to do a lot of neat things and work on some pretty significant projects. And then, you know, the company where Jeff and I ultimately met we we got acquired by a really big company and it just That's that so bigger company oh yeah God. which at first it didn't seem so bad but then you realize they they run things so lean that it's actually impossible for people yeah. to get their work done there's no they have so many processes that keep you from getting a project completed and then you have like all this bureaucracy right. and then oh wait well you weren't supposed to work on that part well, I went ahead and did it because the other person's not doing it. It's holding me back. And then they're like, right. well, I can't use that because that's not your part. I'm like, dude, please. That's right. And then everything's automated. Y'all wonder why I started company. your company. Exactly. <laughs> and at this company, they prided themselves on lean. Now, I've been with some big companies in the past, right, where everything you just said is true. But these guys seem to take it to another level where they had automated everything. So the bureaucracy was enforced by by automation so there was no redress there's no way to escalate something because everything was just automatic <laughs> and i was like wow well then how are we going to solve this problem if i can't get to whatever and then the that is a term in tech though i learned yeah. that automatically automatically yeah uh, we yep. had a guy uh, i'm trying to remember his name he actually hired me for garage doors too but he worked at the tech company i was at he always used to say that automatically it just works automatically just, I'm like, no, it doesn't. Just don't worry your head about it. It's automatic. Yeah. It just happens. <laughs> uh, exactly. And then the the incentives and the things that were set up actually encouraged um, a lot of politicization and actually exacerbated a lot of, I'll say, the bad side of human nature. And um, yeah, and so Jeff and I were in this part, you mentioned us as manager. Well, the company ultimately decided to sell off this little group and so jeff and my whole team went off to a grand new pasture and um i remained at the the company and was given a different assignment but um through that transition jeff and i were just talking we'd been ta having a lot of talks about you know what we're talking about here uh ryan yeah. just culture and all that stuff right jeff and after one of our conversations, I don't remember which one specifically or anything. I just remember the moment, Jeff, and then you can add on your, your version to this. But I remember this time when Jeff came to me, I think it was on a Monday or something. And Jeff, you had said, oh, yeah, you know, Scott, you really inspired me from our last conversation. I was like, okay, how so? I bought a domain called quityourcrappyjob.com. And he started <laughs> explaining this thing. And I, I was like, that's hilarious, quit your crappy job and then uh, it didn't take me long i think jeff i called you the next day and i was like okay i thought about this i think you're on to something i don't know what your site is jeff but yeah i mean you you pretty well uh described it to a t i i was really shocked that the domain was available you know i was just i was sitting there at my desk w one day and i just thought you know, you hear about so many people leaving their jobs, especially during the pandemic and so on, a lot of people just uh, quitting. And um, and so I thought, yeah, a lot of people are quitting their crappy jobs and they probably have a really cool story to tell uh, about that and, you know, where they went and how they had the courage to do it and all that. And so 
I, I checked and, and lo and behold, the domain was available. So very quickly, I bought it <laughs> uh, and decided, hey, uh, and that's when I went to Scott and said, uh, hey, you know, I, I have this idea. I think that we, we might uh, do a podcast or something around this. And so that's kind of how it got born. And I'm uh, recording my episode with you guys tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. And are we, is this the first one you guys have recorded or have you recorded others already? So you're going to be our first guest. We are recording ourselves as kind of an intro, ep, um, yeah. mm -hmm. intro podcast. Yeah. And that'll go live on, on March 31st. And then you will be our, our first featured guest, right? Man, I feel exciting. So <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. I think this will be my first time being the first host or first guest on a first time show. Does that, does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. But first. yeah, yes, I like firsts. Yeah, you yeah, always I'm remember. Say what? We're excited to have you on our first podcast. It's gonna yeah. be great. Glad to be there. So, yeah. uh, you know, I talk about culture, and you know, I've been a part of like really bad culture, uh, where I got fired on a weekly basis, but because I generated so much revenue for the company, they would call me back and bring me back. Um, and eventually after that happening so often, I mean, I was a bad employee, no doubt, but entrepreneurs really don't make good employees. I mean, let's just yeah. be real about it. Right. So I'm a hardcore entrepreneur here. I was working at a car dealership and my general sales manager was a total prick, but I liked him. I don't know if it's like, I don't know. I just thought he was funny and we used to poke at each other all the time and he was super sensitive about his weight. And so I made fun about it and <laughs> I would get to work early and park in his parking spot. Right. I just did stuff like that all the time. And, and then like, if I would piss him off, cause he would tell me like, you know, Hey, uh, like I would get a customer and I'd take him back to my desk. You know how you're supposed to play the game where you get the piece of paper, you fill it out, you take it yeah. to the desk and then they have the four square and they're supposed to put like the down payment, the monthly payment, you know, all that stuff. Well, so uh, I would skip that step and I would just be like, okay. And I would work it all out and start filling out my paperwork and then skip him completely and take it straight to finance. And he would get so pissed because he'd be like, bro, you cannot do that. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because he's like, you got to follow the process. And I'm like, I'm not following your process. I was like, I hate your process. Like, it's so archaic. I mean, what other area in life do we sit down at a table, build rapport, drive cars, come in, sit down, and then I got to go back and then hit them at some ridiculously high price that you've imaginated out of your head, <laughs> only to negotiate down. You already have created this me against you mentality. So I was like, I've already built relationship with these people. And then you're crushing the whole process with this presentation. I'm not doing it. So uh, then I got so good at the finance portion that I started doing the finance deals myself too. So I would go into like an empty finance office and just take my customers in there. And he would like poke his head and he'd be like, Ryan, what are you doing? I'd be like, um, these customers just bought a car. And they'd be like, he would be like, can I see you for a minute? And I'd be like, yeah. So he'd walk outside and he'd be like, what are you doing? Like, cussing me out, whatever. And I would just be like, I sold a car. Why aren't you happy? And I was like, we made money. And he's like, no, 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 no. And so uh, 
we had this like relationship, love, hate. I'm friends with him now. We talk regularly. He's a great guy. But uh, back then he was just freaking miserable. He he would like, he would get mad and go on the intercom system with customers and everybody in the showroom. Ryan, come to sell this now. Click. And you could hear him slam the phone down from the other side of the building. And so I'm like, hmm, this should be very interesting. We're going to let him calm down a little bit and then we'll go later. And then I'd forget. And then he'd be totally pissed when he saw me again. So, but then I would just like find ways to pick at him. Right. Because that's just what I do. And then uh, I, I left there and went to a, the software company. You know, the reason why I left the, the automotive industry, I made really good money. I started there at like 19 years old and um, I got my first uh, promotion because the guy, in the internet department, which is 2019, we had an internet department, Rick Case, that was pretty cool. Um, they uh, caught the internet guy doing cocaine in the bathroom. So uh, they were like, hey, you're really good on the phone. Can you do this? Because you also know computers. And I was like, yeah, I can do it. You know, I don't know if I want to, but I'll try it. So I did it. And they were getting like almost 400 leads a month from people on the internet. And I'm just like, wow, this is great. So I just cherry picked the ones because I couldn't call them all. And I would just close the ones I could close really fast. And it got to the point where I was selling like 25, 30 cars a month. And um, that was a rough life. And I ended up um, spending so much time there that um, it uh, brought division between me and my wife at the time. And so um, we ended up getting divorced. Uh, it's kind of hard to be married to somebody that's never there. And then um, I, I moved to Miami, which was very interesting the automotive industry is not really known for like great cultures. Uh, this one may have been even worse uh, than the first one. Uh, but long story short, uh, it was, it was a, a wild ride. I can tell you all some stories off the air about my time in Miami. That would, it's pretty interesting. Um, but I realized when I came back that I really genuinely wanted a wife and children and to live that life. But I didn't want, like, I knew that was going to be very difficult if I was working six to seven days a week. And so what I did was I, I made a stand for myself. I mean, when I was in Miami, uh, those guys flew me down there, gave me a $15,000 a month guarantee. Um, I had bonuses that I could hit. I was making probably $20,000 a month. I'm in my mid twenties. They put me in a high rise on Collins Avenue, right across the street from the ocean, gave wow. me a book and told me to pick my furniture. I mean, you're talking like, I'm living the life, right? Like, but I'm miserable. I'm just miserable. I hated it. And so I moved back uh, to Atlanta and I took a job making first year, $45,000 a year. Hmm. So drop. yeah, well, I made that in two months roughly with my last employer. Right. But right. it was a commitment that I wanted to make to myself because I wanted to do something uh, where I could have freedom in my life. I wanted to be able to have off time, right? Like and actually be able to see my wife and watch my kids grow up. So I took that job and um, I quickly became one of the top salespeople there and capped out. And I capped out at like 70, it was like 75, I think my first year there. And that was like, I was in the top three sales uh, in the entire country. So I, I went to him, I was like, hey, listen, you know, I, I need something different. And then I got recruited to this software startup company. Um, and what was funny about this was when I went to go 
interview for this, this ended up being like the best job I ever had. When I went to go interview, other than maybe the paintball gig that I had when I was a teenager, because that was mm-hmm. kind of fun. But uh, I went to interview. I walked in the building totally confused because there was like an office right there. And I was like, hey, I'm here to interview with, you know, contact at once. And he's like, oh, I think that's the company down the hall a little bit to the right. And I'm like, what the world? So I walk down the hall and I'm like looking around and like there's people that work for the company in some offices and people that work for other companies and other offices. And I'm like, what is going on? So finally they see this confused guy walking around. They're like, Oh, Hey, are you here for the interview? And I'm like, yeah. And so uh, they're like, Oh yeah, come on in here. And so I think they were having a meeting in the CEO's office. So we, we went into this closet. It was like a storage closet, like a, <laughs> kind of large storage closet or like an office where they were using for storage. Yeah. And he's like, sorry, we don't have a lot of space. We're kind of like subleasing half of this office space from the company here. And Oh, by the way, uh, we got about six months of runway and, um, and we need a salesperson to help us generate revenue. So we don't run out of money. And I'm like, this sounds awesome. And I was like, uh, can I see the comp plan? And he's like, yeah. And I saw the comp plan. I was like, let's do it. And so we had just found out my wife was pregnant and uh, I went home, told my wife and she was scared to death. Uh, But I was like, babe, listen, um, I basically am starting off at where we're at now and I can grow it in my income to be a lot more with this comp plan. And she's like, but what if it doesn't work? And I'm like, well, that would suck, but uh, we're going (laughs) to, we're just going to get after it and try to make it happen. So I uh, started with a company and I think we were like a month in and I was really having a hard time with it. And I realized that the price point was too low. So I went to the CEO. I was like, Hey man, uh, we really need to charge more for the product. He's like, man, we can't sell it at the price point that we've got it at. And I was like, well, we can't sell it at the price point we have it at because I don't think dealers appreciate the fact that it's only 150 bucks. Because nothing they've ever bought for $150 has made a big enough impact on their revenue. So I was like, let's just move the price up. And he's like, mm. I was like, let me try it. So I went out and started selling it for two and two fifty, and it started working and we started getting customers. And for whatever reason, like I figured out my pitch and the price point and all that, right. it just like automatically happened. Right. <laughs> See, um, then he was like, comes to me, he's like, Hey, uh, do you, like, we need to hire some people. Do you know anybody? And I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact. And so uh, I ended up hiring two people. We split the company cu- country into a third for each of us. I had East Coast, Brad had uh, Central, and Andrea had the West Coast. And then it started, right? It started. The culture became one where it was like, this is, this could be a fun ride. Like, you know, you're an early stage right. startup you could fail miserably and shut the company down and not get a paycheck. Um, Or we could really blow this thing up and just go on the wildest ride of your life. And that is exactly what happened. I mean, uh, we can see all the details in between, but we sold that company six and a half years later for $65 million uh, to a publicly traded company called live person. And a uh, live person comes in with uh, Rob, uh, who's the CEO, who told the stories about how he started the company, founded it and lived on his friend's couch and, uh, and grew the company. And, and he 
phenomenal job. Like he did an amazing job. He was all about like uh, what at the time he was preaching connections, uh, you know, connect with your customers, connect with your, uh, your peers, connect with your teammates, connect with your management team, connect, 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 connect. And so he had this like radical idea of, you know, when I come in, we're going to do this connection uh, exercise. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Right. So uh, he comes in and he's like, all right, uh, I want everyone to um, get into groups of uh, four. And then like, he was like, we're going to connect. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going crazy. So, uh, but I really enjoyed it because I get frustrated with superficial conversation. Like just get me past the weeds in the beginning part. And even if I got to be a little awkward, let's just get to like, what do you really want to talk about? Like, what are we here for? Right? Like, how do, how do we make an impact in each other's lives in the 15 minutes that we have? Right. And so I don't care to waste 15 minutes talking about your favorite burger or whatever. Like I want to learn something, give me something, let me give you something. And let's, let's part ways. And this really made me feel like we were starting to get to know each other. Like we were posing questions to each other that we didn't know. And you had people in the room like crying and it wow. became like a really intimate moment. And, and I, I respect Rob because of that, um, because he taught me that. He taught me how to be intimate in a public setting because before that I didn't know how. And it was very uncomfortable still, but I saw the potential. I saw the idea. And so he says, I want you to, he's like, Ryan, I want, I want to challenge you. I'm like, what? He goes, next time you go into a boardroom with all these people, I want you to do this exercise with your, with your potential clients. And I'm like, hmm. so yeah. Rob, um, backfire. it's already a little difficult, <laughs> like relating to these guys in suits. When I walk in in my loafers and my jeans and my pulled out collar shirt, like, uh, they're already on defense. And now you want me to ask them about their sick child or whatever, or their divorce or, you know, I'm like, eh, not really sure that's going to go over so well. So anyway, sure enough, dude, I promised them. And if I promise somebody something, I'm going to do it. So we go to, um, company was is a local, um, we were going to, Dang, I'll think of it here in just a second. Gigi was the decision maker. She was a um, wonderful woman. I love her to death. She was um, she was a no-nonsense, straight to the point, cut through the BS, like hit me, get out of my way. I got stuff to do. And I knew that. And so I knew this was going to be a challenge for me to go to this huge behemoth company and sit in a boardroom and try to like break out into these connection groups, right? Um, and so we're in the elevator and I'm with my boss, uh, which is, um, a layer they put between me and the, the CEO, because mm-hmm. I, I was a high school dropout and it didn't look good on paper. And then, um, it also had one of the people that worked for me and she looks at me while we're in the, we're in the elevator. And she's like, you're not really going to do this. Are you? And I was like, yeah, I told him I would, I'm going to do it. 
She's like, Ryan, do not do this. She's like, we'll pick another company to do it with. Don't do it with Gigi. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do it. If it costs the deal, at least we know. She's like, no, this is my deal. Don't do this. And I'm like, and then the door opens on the walkout. I'm like, we're doing it. <laughs> so we go into the boardroom and I'm like, hey, listen, guys, you guys probably have how many companies walking in and out of this conference room in the next week? And she's like, I don't know, probably five or six. And I'm like, how many people are you talking to about, uh, you know, the application that we sell? And she's like two or three. And I'm like, okay. I said, we're all going to come in here, do a presentation. You guys are going to be on your phones. It's going to be boring. And then we're going to leave. And then we're going to follow up with you like crazy. You're going to ignore us. And then eventually you're going to make a decision based off of whatever information you remember from those meetings. Right. And she's like, probably not exactly like that, but it's pretty close. So I was like, we're going to do something different. I said, before we start talking about product, we're going to break into small groups. I said, we got, uh, I think we had about eight people in the room. So I was like, we're going to break into groups. And then I want you guys to talk about your best friend and why you don't spend time with them. What keeps you from spending time with your absolute best friend? And what do you do? What do you enjoy doing with that person? Again, you had like people crying and then like, people talking about like, yeah, they I mean, actually did this. it's they uncomfortable. Did it? it was very uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. They all stared at me for like a good minute. It felt like, and I was just standing there. My face was beat red. I was sweating and I'm like, mm. I didn't have anything to say. What am I going to say? And they were like, okay, we'll try it. And I was like, yes. So I'm in a group. And then I broke out the three of us into their groups and, uh, and so we're talking about like, you know, our childhood friends and, uh, you know, we don't really spend enough time with them and what's really important. And yeah, I mean, it, it gets intimate because you're sharing these intimate details with strangers that you just met. Right. And there's a sense of vulnerability about it that you like and dislike at the same time. And so um, we lost that deal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, I can't remember if we signed him up or not, to be honest with you. Uh, but Gigi to this day is someone that I just respect wholeheartedly because she is a wonderful leader, an amazing person. And uh, I still may need to sell her something one day. So I need her to know that I love her. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but she, um, she, she allowed it to happen. And she's an alpha female, right? Like she does not play around. And afterwards, I believe she thanked me and told me that that was a great meeting and um, never do that again. So, I was like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, it created it created. You know, we used to have these little connection groups with our staff and and other departments too. Um, but the cool thing about it is, before we got acquired, they let me do whatever I wanted, um, and I was that like, you know every software company's got that guy yeah. that, that like, you mm -hmm. know, he's in the Maverick. product meetings, he's in the sales meetings, he's in the marketing meetings, he's in the support meetings, you know, and, and he's the young up and coming, you know, guy that kind of understands the whole, you know, function of the company because I was like the ninth employee and I was hungry and I understood technology and I understood what the capabilities were. I understood sales. I understood support and customer service. Like I was a part of all of that. And, um, they let me book a trip out to Zappos. I've told this story on the podcast before and Zappos is really known for their company culture and how they do things and measure their employees. And it's kind of like the opposite of everybody else. Um, and so that, 
that for me, that whole experience through software and culture and all that was a blast. And um, sounds like you guys have some similar backgrounds to what I have, except for you haven't started a garage door company yet. <laughs> no, we haven't. Never say never. Yeah, you should <laughs> you consider it. You can take mine. No, I'm just kidding. I, I love doing it. I think the biggest challenge is, is um, there's an abundance of white collar people in the world, right? Um, yeah. You could hire a hundred people in a month and weed out 30 or 40 of them and have a good team. <laughs> you ain't doing that here. Like you get, you get somebody good enough and then you try to coach them up and make them better. Um, and if it doesn't work, you have to cut them. And then you recruit really hard for months at a time. And you find another one. It's like fishing. You just, uh, it's a very different strategy, very different. Um, and, and the people are motivated very differently there. But I think since right. COVID, since COVID hit, like the motivation of employees in general changed, like what you mentioned, you know, time off, time, people want time off. Right. Give me time right. off. I don't really care about your ping pong and your, you know, whatever. The priorities have shifted. That's yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, people want to, well, a lot of people want the flexibility to work from home in the white collar world and tech world. Um, I know a lot of companies when they started coming back on and tech companies, I should say, and they wanted their employees to come back in, they started finding out their employees had all moved away from wherever they were and they couldn't report back yeah. into those offices and that started creating some problems um yeah and the company you know jeff and i were at they had uh, what they called a work from work uh thing and you couldn't hire anybody with that i mean that was a deal that was a showstopper a deal killer right out of the gate the minute you mentioned that they're like mm, no thanks because yeah. priorities had shifted like you said right yeah but people are uh working from home and it's interesting even when you look at job descriptions and so on the job description says remote employee opportunity you know and and a few years ago if you asked them if, if the position was remote they'd say absolutely not mm -hmm. you have to move to that location yep. and uh and and now i mean obviously through the pandemic uh people are working at home and they don't want to come back they don't want to go back into an office so it's pretty interesting how that's playing out. Consistency in everything, including price, reliability, quality, not just quality, but great quality control. These are things that describe Somer USA. Somer's not some startup company, not one that you need to be worried about going out of business in the near future. Somer's a two. Somer and their family of businesses are $200 million companies. They're in over 100 countries, and they have locations in 20 countries. This is a large organization who stands behind their product and works through integrity. And there's not another company out there willing to drop what they're doing and help you out like Somer. These guys are awesome. Not only have they been loyal to the torsion talk podcast they've been loyal to the technicians and the owners of the companies who install their product in my opinion 
if you're not at least offering Somer as an additional option, you're cheating yourself. Listen, first-time dealers, I've got a special for you. If you buy 10 or more Somers between now and the end of the season six, while supplies last, we will offer you free shipping. You have no more excuses. The prices are great. The product is amazing. Go check out Somer USA and order 10 for free shipping. I'm going to tell you guys a marketing secret. You want to gain more social media likes, shares, and follows? People love unique and cool projects. There are no better photos to share than the ones on Schweiss Doors social accounts. These guys post some incredible things. Make sure to go there and like and share their Facebook and Instagram post with your business account. So if you like their business account, you can share their uh, their post. The Bifold Doors are awesome, and they're doing some great projects that will go viral on social media if you share them. Go right now to Schweiss Door on Facebook and check out some of the projects they share and like their page. Oh, and don't forget, no one builds a better bifold than Schweiss. I think, though, like I worked from home some too, even though that the office was in Alpharetta and I live in Buford. It's probably like, you know, with traffic, a 45-minute-ish drive. Uh, but the challenge was, um, you know, I had to work such a long day and I traveled so much that I didn't want to go drive, you know, an hour and a half round trip, two hours round trip. So I would stay home and it created this atmosphere between me and the CEO because I reported him and he was, I respected him greatly, but at the same time, you know, it kind of turned into that relationship like I had with my previous boss. He'd be like, hey, um, you know, I really want you in the office. Well, he wanted me in the office was because I was I was kind of like the glue between a lot of the departments and I was in all the meetings and this and that, and I didn't want to be, right? Like I got to a point where I'm like, dude, I'm 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 meeting to death, right? right. Like I, I don't and then we go into these meetings and I would start getting frustrated because nothing was getting accomplished. We're just talking. And so that started rubbing me the wrong way. And now I started getting angry. And then people were like, Ryan, what's up with your attitude lately? I'm like, dude, I'm tired of talking. Like, are right we going to do something? Or are we just going to talk about it? Um, and like right half here. the time back then, if it was something within my control, they would be talking about it. I would be working on it. And by yeah. the time they're done with the conversation, I would already have the ball rolling. And so yeah. I like that, right? Like that's you just and, you and I, Ryan, very somewhere in that way. Uh, and Jeff, you could tell. I remember Jeff, you and several of them, the team remarked about that when we'd have a team meeting and they'd bring something up. I would just open up whatever tools, like, well, let's get it done right now. <laughs> I remember the first time I did that, they're like, "Wait, what?" I'm like, well, "I got to sit around here and talk about this." There's this well, yeah, thing, Scott. Right, Scott was one of the few managers that. Uh, we actually got something done on a call rather than sitting around talking about it. We actually ended the call and we had done some things on the call. And, and so I really appreciated that. Most of the you know time, the ways. Yeah. You know where I got that from? The idea to do that? No. But, um, I was working at a car dealership. It was probably like the year 2000. And um, my buddy who um, was training me, he gave me um, or told me to get uh, Grant Cardone's 85 closes, uh, which was his like way to overcome objections and close the deal. 
And the most powerful thing, because we're in the South, so we would, you know, we're selling cars. People would be like, why don't you go home and pray about it? And <laughs> right. I would be like, well, uh, how do you combat that? Right. Cause it's like, yeah. no, you don't. Or, you know, Hey, wait a minute. I just heard Jesus. He said, you should buy the car. <laughs> so like, um, right. so he had a, a, like a rebuttal to that. And one of the 85 closes and it was, Hey, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, I totally respect your desire to pray about it, but this is also impacts me too. Right. Because this is how I make a living. If I don't sell you a car, I don't pay my bills. And so, uh, I would say it impacts me as much as it impacts you do you mind if we pray together? And I was like, Whoa, wow. So did you try that? Yeah, no, I did. I mean, dude, I wasn't like, I can tell you at least 50 times I did it. Um, I'll still remember this one time where it was a couple with a freaking van full of kids and I'm sitting in the back in between two of them and we're praying. <laughs> and it was like eight 30 at night. And That's awesome. my boss is like, like, uh, like staring out the window, like, and I'm like, you know, like, I'm like, dude, we're praying. You can't rush this right. Right. trying to close the deal. Right. So, um, and so we're, awesome. we're praying in the van and the kids are filling it. Like, you know, I could feel the whole atmosphere shift and I'm like, so you guys ready to buy the car? And they're like, we are. And I'm like, let's go, Done. let's do That's it. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, and then, and so what it, what it taught me was like, after that, it would be like when somebody would be like, man, I'm really sick. I'd be like, you want to pray about it? And they'd be like, what? Like, no. <laughs> pray though. Like, because people are like, it's so uncomfortable, right? Yeah, Normally yeah. what we do is you want me to, uh, oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, okay. Thank you. And you're like, I'm going to leave now. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and then like, and then either you don't pray, right? right. Or you just be like, oh, like heal that person. Thank you, Jesus. Right. But if you were like, you know, Hey, let me pray for you right now that you feel better. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I'm not God, but we can at least pray. Right. right. And, and yeah. so that just taught me like, Hey, why not do it now? Right. What's the worst that can happen? So when I was in meetings, it was kind of like that mentality had been hardwired in my brain so hard for selling cars that I was like, you know, somebody was like, Oh, we have this issue. And I'm like, listening, they'll explain the issue and then I'll just start fixing it. And I'd be like, all right, that issue's resolved. Let's move on. And they're still talking about it. What? I'm like, I already fixed it. And they're like, what do you mean you fixed it? I'm like, it's fixed. It's in the system. I just uploaded it. You're good. Um, I'm confused. I'm like, just move on. Just fixed. And they're like, oh my God. So anyway, yeah, it's funny. Like you can a lot of times fix things quicker than you can talk about them. Right. Exactly. You do that in our pipeline meetings too. Yeah. Just yeah. call them. Yeah. Right no. Now. I, yep. If I've got one where I feel like it's been dragging on too long or the excuse is poor, like, especially if one of my sales reps, like, Oh, I've called him like 12 times and he's not picking up the phone. I'll be like, really? Do, 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 ring. Hello. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just look at him like, really? Yeah. I'm like, hey, Mr. Smith, this is Ryan with Aaron Overhead Doors. My rep says she's called you like 12 times and hasn't <laughs> been able to get you. Well, I just got you. So I wanted to call you and talk to you about the, the door. Anyway, it was funny. I, I love it. I, I like to have fun with that. But it's, you know, I think meetings are important to your culture as well. Uh, we implemented, I don't know if you guys have read the book. Um, 
mastering the Rockefeller habits? No, no, it's a no. good one. So that's a good book because he talks about like micro meetings. So 15 minutes, like you can pretty much talk about everything you need to talk about unless there's a problem in 15 minutes. And so what we did was we started implementing daily huddles uh, with our entire team. And uh, it was great because uh, if we had an issue, we would kind of go through and say, hey, we had that warranty yesterday. What happened? They would say, oh, well, when we installed the door, we did this and this and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. We got it fixed. Yes. Customer happy. Yes. Cool. Well, what just happened was the entire staff just heard how we resolve a problem, right? So right. I don't have to train the girl on the phone next time that, that, you know, that issue comes up. I don't have to, you know, talk to the, the office lady or the, you know, whatever, the salesperson about that. If they're listening and paying attention, they're seeing how we're handling issues. And that helps them build confidence when they're talking to customers. So um, as you do that and you have those daily huddles and it happens every day, you have different issues come up. You talk about how you resolved them, you know, customers happy, blah, blah, blah. It also builds confidence in your salespeople that all your installers are doing a good job and know how to fix the door or whatever. So um, then he talks about how to have like another huddle afterwards where any issues that were brought up in there, you, you have those conversations in like a 15 minute huddle after with your management team. That's been, yeah, you know, you know, Ryan, the, the software development uh, sector has this actually same thing. They call them scrum meetings. They're daily meetings. They're designed to be 15 minutes where it's just very quickly. Where are we at? Have we met yesterday's objectives? You know, and like you said, unless there are problems, they're designed to be very quick meetings to just talk about what needs to be talked about and get going on your day and knock stuff out, get stuff done. Yeah. So it's funny yeah. that this is in a, another book kind of makes me wonder if, I assume this Rockefeller Habits is an older book. It is. It's probably been around for, I wonder if that was kind of the genesis to the folks. Hey, Rick, can you look up how old are some of these modern software development practices, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that book and you know, everything I read, there's like at least one nugget that I can kind of take away from it. Um, and for me, that book, there was like the daily huddles, um, you know, it brings everybody together. There's accountability and, you know, another thing that I think is really important when you're talking about culture and meetings and stuff is, you know, I used to question all the time, like, I don't like people being late to meetings, but what difference does it make if you're in the office or on the phone? So with ours, if you have a job far on the other side of town or, you know, whatever, I don't know. I don't even care. I'm not questioning you if you're not there, as long as you're online. Right. So we, we have a zoom. She said it was written in 2002. It's kind of old. That's when it was published. Yeah. 20 years ago. Yep. 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, I don't really care about, um, you know, are you here? I care about, are you consuming the information or are you engaged? That's all I care about. And so I think a lot of times like managers get so obsessed with, well, you got to be here. Well, it may not make sense because I got to be on the other side of town right after this meeting. And I live 15 minutes away from my first appointment. Right. So or an hour you, know, away. you got to use common sense too. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about the, the Rockefeller habits, it reminded me of another book. And this is a gentleman I want to try to get for our podcast. Cause you know, your story will probably repeat tomorrow, Ryan, on our podcast a little bit, maybe of trying to understand, you know, the subtitle, like I said, is finding courage for positive change. One of the things we're trying to help people is 
find that courage or the, the ability to make some of these changes. But when you're talking about the Rockefeller book, reminds me of this other book. It's by Scott Adams, who's the, uh, the, uh, the author of the Dilbert cartoon, right? Mm -hmm. The Dilbert cartoonist. It's, it's great. It's called How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. Well, I mean, that's the uh, book there on camera. It's an awesome book. And in a lot of it, he goes through some of his little habits and things that he has done to become successful and what it took. And some of the things you were talking about in the, the Rockefeller Habits book reminded me of some of the things he pointed out in that book. So kind of a, our book club moment here. Yeah. <laughs> well, that one written. I'll, I'll recommend a book to you. See who got who, see who got what from who. I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. So you talk about courage. Um, you know, I'll hit on this real quick. I, I think when you're in your mid thirties and you got, you just had your second kid and here you are ready to throw away a career where I could get a job. I, I could have gotten another job in software in a heartbeat. No problem. Um, I had clients trying to hire me. I mean, I could have gotten a job making great money anywhere, just about anywhere. Um, but I, I, I wanted something different. I was, I was tired of being, I guess the term is an entrepreneur an entrepreneur, which is like when you're an entrepreneur that works for a company and you're kind of like that wrangler, like I was where I was kind of involved in almost every aspect of the company where then I became an entrepreneur. And that was like, I was miserable because I wasn't intended to work for other people and shame on me for taking 35 years to quit my job. But it's really easy to be comfortable when you're making almost 200 grand a year, you know, and yeah. um, you're, you know, you started making money like that in your twenties and you, you create a certain lifestyle for yourself because that becomes like the norm. And then you're like, Oh crap, you know, uh, I, I want to quit and not do anything like this ever again. And then, you know, you, you sit down and you build a spreadsheet and it shows that you can afford to pay yourself $250 a week for six to eight weeks. And then you can give yourself a hundred dollar a week raise. And you're like, Hmm, can we live off of that? And my wife's like, no. And so, um, we had a one year strategy where we had to sell $700,000 in garage door services in order for us to make it. This was like bare minimum, right? Yeah. Do you know what I sold my first year? No. What was it? $699,000 because I had to. You had to. I had to. I didn't have a choice. There was no going back. I wasn't going back. I didn't even think about it. I was just like, and, and I'll add to this. I had four and a half days of training on repairing and fixing garage doors. I owned almost no tools. I think I had like a drill with like a corded drill. I had a hammer and a couple of screwdrivers in my garage. And I hardly ever used any of them because I just hired people to do everything. I am not your handyman. I don't fix stuff, right? I'm not good with my hands. It's not something, I mean, I can be good at whatever I need to be good at with my back against the wall. You want me to be a freaking, you want me to fight Mike Tyson? I'm going to train like hell and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give it my best. And, and I'll probably get my ass whooped really well, but I'm going to do it well, right? And, right. and I'm going to try to make him feel like he got hit. Same thing with garage doors, right? Like I didn't have a choice. I got two kids and a wife I got to feed. 
I just refinanced my house and freaking paid off all my debt to reduce my overhead so I could just make it, just make it. I'm talking like my wife is stressed out. We can't afford to go on vacation. Christmas isn't happening. Like, you know, you're right. There's a lot of sacrifice. And when you do that, um, when you're looking at that, it looks like a mountain, right? It looks like this ginormous, like, oh my God. But if you're willing to work from 7 to 10 p.m., 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., you know, Monday through Saturday, and do anything and everything that it takes, you will get it. And then the next year, maybe you're working from 7 to, you know, 8 and then the next right. year you're working from seven to you know six. And then the next year you come out of the field and you're, you know, you got more flexibility and you got people working for you and they're running and you're just sitting back holding the people accountable and work starting to work on your business that in your business. And then it gets that flow. Um, that that was I had been part of startups, like even early stage. Uh, but the courage that it takes to jump out and actually do it is massive scary well, that's that is massive because what you're talking about you could have taken another job making six figures mm -hmm. comfortable and you applied you know in shung su's art of war he caused this putting yourself in hollowed ground mm -hmm. or troops in hollowed ground where like you're on a beachhead your back's against the wall you you it's either succeed or yeah. you can't not succeed basically yeah. right you got nowhere else to go and you know, it's kind of interesting to me, Ryan, because like it's more than even courage. It's like, why trade that for working more hours, the pressure cooker that you put yourself in? And um Tell and you're happier. You'd mentioned happier. at one point you're at the high rise in Miami and you weren't wasn't happy. happy. And now you're working seven I take a 99% pay cut and work right. more hours and have less money to pay for food then you're happier yeah, and i'm happier because nobody's telling me what to do right and that's the thing you were also saying you know ryan that well it took me till my mid-30s that's okay i figure you know well, that's it. the thing we're gonna be exploring in our podcast because some of the folks we're talking to like there was a one of our guests is an ex-ceo he started his career as a lawyer graduated law school passed the bar starts working as a lawyer and was like oh hell no I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And he, he bolts and, you know, fast forward becomes a, a CEO and so forth. There's another guy we're talking to who graduated med school, same thing, a whole family of well-established, even now you can look them up They're, you know, world leading medical doctors and had the courage to stand to his family and say, yeah, I know I've spent all this money. I'm here. I'm doing this now. And I'm like, no, this is not for me and goes in the world of business. And um, it's, it takes a while, I guess, to kind of a little bit of experimenting to finally figure out what. Well, I had thing started is. businesses while I was working other companies. You know, oh, you I had had a, yeah, I started yeah. a marketing agency in 2025 or six. No, 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 no. Sorry. In the future. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to remember. It was around the time we were, we were pregnant with my daughter. She was born in 2010. Right. I think so. Yeah. So I started the company in 2009 when my wife was pregnant with my daughter and because we called it EG online marketing. And what I did was, uh, this was when I got out of the car business 
and went into uh, work for um, internet brands, which was like a internet uh, conglomerate where they own yep. a bunch of different brands. Yep. And, um, I can tell you a cool story about that too, but, um, they, uh, they, they weren't paying me like what I wanted to get paid, obviously. Um, and so part of the problem there was my wife wanted to quit her job and be a stay at home mom. So I already took like a 50, 60% pay cut. Um, and then, um, so my wife wanted to quit her job. She was making like 40, I don't know, yeah. somewhere around there. That's a big difference, right? I mean, you just went from making a lot of money to combine to like very little to no money. Right. And so um, our lifestyle needed to change. And so I was like, you know what? I could probably start a marketing agency. I know how to build websites. I know SEO. I was doing SEO in 1999, a year after Google search started, right? So yeah. I'm familiar with it. You know, I know how to do black hat, I know how to do white hat, and I know how to manipulate the little algorithm. So um, I started doing websites. I sold the first website to the dentist that my wife worked for. I went to go get my teeth cleaned and he's like, Hey man, how have you been? I'm like, I'm good, man. I'm starting a marketing agency. He's like, no way, really? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, uh, well, I don't have a website. And I'm like, I noticed that I was going to talk to you about it. I walked out of there that day with a check for a website. Number one, awesome. I didn't really know how to like build a website. I knew <laughs> how to like maintain one at the time. Yeah. So I reached out to everybody I knew who I knew, like knew how to do websites. And uh, one guy was like, you know, I'm busy. I can't help you. But uh, there's this guy, Brent, he's in college. And, um, you know, he does like some, uh, some work on the side. He could probably help you. So I called him up. I'm like, hey, dude, like uh, my name's Ryan. You know, I sold the vision. I'm going to start this marketing agency. It's going to be huge. And, you know, we're going to blow it up and make it big. And this is what we're going to do. And long story short, uh, he was like, I'm in. And so I was like, I'll pay you like 400 bucks a website. And he was like, freaking heck yeah. So uh, we were building WordPress sites and um, loading them up with plugins so we could get everything going. And uh, and that, that started doing well. And we had like at night when I would get off, I'd come home, go down in the basement, uh, we'd fire up a phone call. We'd work on a site together and I'd tell them what I want done. I'd be writing content, doing some SEO. And then uh, I'd call the other designer and like the other guy working on another project and we'd go through it. And that's how we did it. And eventually it grew to like, you know, 20 something clients, you know, doing it side yeah. side. Uh, and that's actually how I started the garage door business because uh, Larry out in California uh, with Aaron overhead doors was referred to me or uh, somebody gave him a referral to call me for a website and SEO. So um, that's, he and I built a relationship and that's how I started Aaron Overhead Door Atlanta. That's awesome, Aaron. You know, one of the things on the comical side, I've always thought was um, you mentioned your wife uh, wanting to be a stay home mom and all these things. I've often mm -hmm. thought, what was that conversation with your wife? A software sales executive goes, okay, I'm done with this. Okay, sweetie. I think I want to make a change. Okay. I'm going to open a garage door opening company. I mean, just like. Couldn't have picked worse timing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was thinking, she's like, wait, you don't know anything. You're not hand. You're not the handyman around yeah, the house. That's exactly I mean what she said. She told me no. She told me no. <laughs> when I wanted to start the garage door company, she told me no. Nope. <laughs> that's said, a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Ryan, you can't even fix the stuff I need you to fix around the house. She's like, you're not doing this. And I'm like, babe, I can no do sense. it. Yeah, it didn't. It made no sense. Uh, and it probably still doesn't make sense. 
but I do things that don't make sense all the time. You can ask Tamara, like I, I just love it. It's just part of who I am. And so if somebody says, Hey, you can't do that. Like I'm already trying to figure out how I can do it. Just who I am. You got that little defiant part of you. But I talked my wife into doing it because uh, it was coming up on our anniversary and um, we were talking about starting the garage door business and I was still working for the software company and I took her to the keys and we were on little Palm Island. I told this story in another, another season and I bought the big package. I mean, I'm making good money, dude. I can buy the big package. So, you know, they take us out on a boat to this dessert, like this Island with a, um, a restaurant on it. That's got really good food. And I, I got the, the secluded beach, um, beach dinner, right. The, the, the sunset, uh, they had the, the flower petals on the ground. Wow. Okay. The news had our names on it. I mean, like, dude, top notch if you ever go you want to treat your wife take her to little palm island it's amazing um so we're there we're eating deer walking up like eating little flower petals all around us we're it's just it's like a magical moment right she goes let's do it and i'm like do what i'm like yes we're on our honeymoon or uh, you know whatever and i'm you know my head's in the wrong place but she's like let's start the garage door company and i'm like are you sure She's like, yeah. And I'm like, there's gonna be a lot of sacrifice. And she doesn't remember me saying that, but I promise you, I told her there was gonna be a lot of sacrifice. And she's like, cause every year after that, for like four years, she reminded me that uh, I still owe her because I didn't tell her that. But um, <laughs> right. our lifestyle was really strict uh, up until probably about 15, 16 months ago. Uh, and, and we're six and a half years old. And, uh, and, and we took a huge step back, uh, financially, we cashed out our retirement. So we're now building our retirement up, um, and trying to get to a place where based on our age and when we want to stop working and all this stuff, we're going to be good. And so that's, uh, that's a challenge, uh, also in and of itself, but I started another marketing agency two years ago. Also. Awesome. So you already got something in the hopper, you know, cause when you're saying that these are little steps, one of the things, Jeff, you and I have talked about, right. Is that the subtitle finding courage for positive change with our podcast. And what we're trying to draw out of a lot of our guests is that maybe it's not like you did, Ryan, the big one, quit your crappy job and start something totally off the wall. We're, we're thinking in terms of, well, maybe it's just figuring out how to take smaller steps. Maybe it's ask for a better salary, quit your crappy department, um, or even maybe take some of those preparatory steps so that you can do that. So maybe it's is you, to use your phrase, Ryan, live a little stricter so that you're not so beholden to your mm-hmm. employer that you could survive a couple of months. If you wanted to find that courage to put your foot down on the American something. dream is the handcuffs of American people, keeping them from starting their own thing. Like you are a slave to your employer because of your debt the house you thought you needed, the fence, the dog, the kids, the everything, it, it, it will enslave you to the point where you can't live free. And that's why I love doing what I do now is uh, I, I can live free. I don't, I'm not a slave to my debt or my employer. They can't just fire me and all the effort that I put in the last few years just goes by the wayside, right? Um, I now can walk away if, if I got fired uh, with money you know, um, and so, and go do something else. 
but I got like three or four other ideas. So I'm like, how do I free up time so I can go start other things? Cause that's just who I am. I get bored. So once I get to a certain point, that's why I do a podcast. That's why I got a marketing agency. It's why I've got garage door. You, I've got Aaron red doors. I mean, I'm part of amplify art I'm starting my own NFT program. I mean, like, hello, I'm freaking, I'm a wreck. I'm just a wreck. So, but it's who I, it's part of who I am and, and you either love it or hate it. Tamara. But you're making these little micro things, micro experimentations, right? Right. Jeff, you and I talked about this. Maybe it's some of these small things, you know, my word has been like, well, maybe you start by saving an extra $20 a month or I don't know, whatever the crypto (laughs) crypto, right? whatever the small something you have, if you don't have it where you can actually just quit the job, maybe you can make, find the courage to make some improvement in your situation that will ultimately lead you to the bigger one, right? Yeah. Success with small things. Yeah. I mean, it might be just a slight change that you can begin to make, have the courage to make some kind of change and move forward and, uh, you know, make your life better. Like debt, right, Jeff? I mean, Ryan brought up a good point. Debt will really limit your options and make you, well, I think that could suck courage away from you when you're Mm -hmm. looking to stand up to I'm sure a lot of people don't quit their crappy job because they're not in a position financially to, to do that. They're, they've got a mortgage, they've got car payments, they've, you know, children, all those things make it really tough. What was that Scott? said, or a pregnant wife like Ryan had. Yeah. 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 I mean, on the way. I also meet people who share their plans with me and I tell them absolutely not do not do that. Um, because some people shouldn't like not everybody's intended to go start their own business. Right. Of course. Um, so yeah, I know plenty of those people. Um, and, and I think, I think too often we like, we think we can do it, but there's some people that just aren't cut out for it. And that's okay, right, Ryan? Because you you said it took you to your mid thirties to kind of figure out. Well, I'll just put words in your mouth to figure out who you were. Yeah, this is this is Ryan. This is who I am. And I remember meeting a guy. He was in his fifties, and we were talking about some ideas. I was thinking about starting a company or whatever. And he said, "You know, Scott, I'm not an entrepreneur. That's not me. But I, I could help you or other people do the, their dream." Like the inner just not the one that can do that. That's too scary for me. That's too hard. So he was old enough to have realized who he is. Yeah. And it's okay. It takes all of us to make things happen. There's right? a book for that. <laughs> There's a book that for describes that. those people. I think it's EOS. The the EOS, you gotta have a visionary, you gotta have an integrator. Yeah. Um, and and, right. and a lot of times the entrepreneur uh is not the integrator. In my case, right. I can be the visionary and the integrator, but it does get exhausting. Uh, but you eventually will need to have an integrator who works for you, who can take charge and carry out your vision. Walt Disney was this way. He was the visionary, but I think it was his brother that actually made everything happen. Yeah. Right? He'd come up with his, his idea and his brother's like, oh, I can make that happen. And so maybe finding that courage is also just aligning yourself with other people who might, you might pair good wise, talent wise to do something. I don't know. Yeah. Some change, some improvement. Well, I know like, because majority of my listeners are in home services, like I know it's easy to sit back. I had this thought earlier. It's easy to sit back and look at your employer and think, wow, like 
he's making a ton of money. Uh, and you want to go out and start your own company because you're like, man, I could just sell a couple of jobs and make some good living. But at some point you're going to have to take it serious and you're going to have to like do something because your body's not going to last forever. Uh, there's not always, the phone's not always going to ring. You're going to have to figure things out. And so if you're not battle tested, um, a lot of times you'll fail in that area. And I think, and if you're going to go out and start your own thing, you need to have the basic understanding of sales, marketing, and finances, just the basic. I'm not saying you have to have, like be an expert at those three things, but you have to understand the basics of those three. And if you don't have that, then I think you're totally screwed. You're not going to make it, in my opinion, unless you're just like a, like the one-off uh, programmer who builds a platform and it's so freaking cool and it goes viral and you don't need sales or marketing and then you just hire somebody to collect all your money. But that's rare. That's, that's a unicorn, right? So um, yeah. in home services, these guys just see the money and they think it's, it's easy grabs, but it's, it doesn't work out that way. Like you got to think now midterm and long-term and what that looks like for you. You know, Ryan, one of the things we're exploring in our podcast too, and we cover this in our intro uh, meeting is that, uh, in fact, I have it here. There was a book that came out in 1994. Uh, called New Work Habits, a Reality for Changing for a Changing World, right? And it's a really good book. One of the things that, uh, and there's a whole program that uh, Price Pritchett put together based on this booklet. But one of the things that stood out to me was just not how fast things are changing, but the idea that the average person graduating in the mid-90s could expect to have five separate careers, not jobs. So sometimes it's just not about you quitting your crappy job. Your crappy job will quit you, or even your dream <laughs> job will quit you. And, you know, like one of the guests we're going to have is an ex-NFL player. That's the classic scenario. The job quit him. You know, you got so bad, you're so old, your your body breaks down, whatever. Yeah, that career is now over. So now what do you do? Right. And so this idea of always being learning, always experimenting like you've been doing, or, uh, you know, we just talked about small changes like saving, just these little things you can do to prepare yourself for this inevitability, because inevitably you're going to be making a change in your life, whether it's you choosing to, as you did, you put yourself on hallowed ground or your employer doing it for you. Um, yep. I agree. Guys, you guys are awesome. Great conversation. Y'all brought up a lot of miserable memories from my past. Thank you. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad. Hey, I'm always yeah. happy to make remind people how miserable they once were maybe i'll I maybe i'll ask my boy if he'll come on and be my miserable boss interview <laughs> he could tell everybody how bad of an employee i was i literally was a bad employee i was so bad i i i'll tell one story and then we gotta get off because this is freaking hilarious and i got a call in 10 minutes so um i used to be so vindictive um and like um uh if you screwed me I would go at all ends of the earth to make you feel me, right? Well, this one guy, um, he lied to a customer and told him that I wasn't there and he sold the car. And then I found out when they were in finance. So I was like, okay, I'm going to cool off. I went home, came back that next morning. That was a Friday night. Saturday comes. Um, I walk in and um, let's see what was. I don't remember the exact time, but anyway, he left his coffee out and uh, one of my friends, because I was always on the toilet back in the day, 
which eh, not much has changed. Um, he got me for Christmas X lax, like a bunch of it's just like a joke or whatever. Yeah. So I just happened to have it in my car. So I was like, Shh, I want to put X lax in this coffee. Oh man. And like, I didn't know anything about X lax, like how much nothing. Oh, no. So here I am like dumping all this X lax in his coffee and come to find out he, Terrible. no, this was Friday. This was Friday. This was Friday when I put the X lax in his coffee. Um, because Saturday morning when I walked in, um, he was in the general manager's office. The general manager called me in. And I still have my bag with my computer in it. And, and I walk in and he's like, Ryan, come here. So I walk in the office. He's like, did you put X-Lax in, um, in his coffee? And I'm like, dude, I just got here. I thought that was really smart. I was playing the timing. So you watched me just walk in. I just got here. He's like, not this morning. This was yesterday. And I'm like, no, I didn't. And he's like, well, we have two witnesses that say you did. And I'm like, I don't know. They don't like me. I don't know what to tell you, but I didn't put X-Lax in this coffee. So anyway, he ended up like going to the hospital. I think I did it like on Thursday or Friday. I don't know. Anyway, he went to the hospital on dehydration. And apparently I had put too much in there. And so um, long story short, um, I didn't get fired. Thank God. I got promoted shortly after too, by the way. Um, More lesson to learn the story. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? <laughs> Anyways, but, keep going. Yeah. But I mean, like, he the the point is, is that I was not cut out to be an employee. I just yeah. wasn't. I wasn't a good example. I wasn't a good leader. I wasn't a good employee. I was rough around the edges. I was vindictive. I didn't, like, I had friends that were peers that I worked with and we would have fun and whatever. But if you weren't part of, like, our little group and you were a jerk, I was, I was a jerk 10 times back to you. Um, and so I've changed dramatically over the years. Um, but you know, that's, I think that, um, if you're a bad employee, maybe you should start your own thing. And, and even if you suck at starting your own thing, you'll learn what it's like to have sucky people like you work for you. And then you'll, you'll appreciate your job more. And then you can go back to the workforce and, uh, be better to your boss and your peers and everything else because you'll have a, a different spin and appreciation for what you do. I was very immature, but it was funny. He was a jerk. Well, he didn't he didn't mistreat you again after that, right? He did not. He did not. <laughs> no, he didn't. Listen, thank you guys for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, Jeff Scott. Um, I look forward. Our to pleasure. That's tomorrow. Uh, it'll be fun. Hopefully we talk about some new things so I don't have to try to repeat these. Uh, but I uh, really appreciate you guys coming on, talking to us a little bit about culture and starting your own business. I think there's going to be a lot of people in the home services industry that will really appreciate that, employees and employers alike. So I really appreciate your time. And um, Tamara, as always, thank you. Appreciate you. You didn't really talk that much today, but that's okay. I know. I was talking Sorry. the most. They're my guest and I did the most talking. It's like a well, no-no. Thanks for having us on, though. Yeah. And, and for now, it's just quityourcrappyjob.com. You can go there and we'll have the episodes listed there. And like I said, we launched March 31st. And appreciate you having us on. Fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, next time I'll do a better job of doing less talking. You did great. I got confused if this was the one for y'all or one for me. <laughs> we'll All right. Y'all have a wonderful well. day. Y'all take care. Be safe out there. And Thanks. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Bye.